Okay, <clears throat> that was good. <laughs> um, if you do not have a Bible with you this morning, uh, we got a couple of passages that we're going to conquer in the Sermon on the Mount, so you're going to need a Bible. If you don't have one, just put your hand up. Our ushers have them in their arms right now, and we'll give you one that you can use. And if you do not have a Bible of your own, and you're receiving one right now, will you please keep that as our gift to you? It is the Word of God, and there is life in that book. Uh, Can we talk for just a minute about last weekend? Last weekend was good. It was good. What a weekend. Uh, It is so exciting every year to come to that point of celebrating Easter, to gather here on Good Friday and watch what God does, and, and then to see part two of that on Sunday morning last week. What a beautiful weekend. And I just want to thank all of you. There were so many of you that contributed to making that weekend what it was. Um, All of the different behind-the-scenes work that took place there. And um, I just really, really appreciate it. It was an outstanding weekend. Um, It really was. Um, Could feel God's spirit here um, at the Good Friday service. Very clearly, um, lives were touched that evening. And then last Sunday morning, um, what a a great celebration. Um, When it came time to present the gospel to this absolutely packed room um it was it was exciting there were about half a dozen kids um not our kids kids from outside this church that just jumped at the opportunity to accept christ and and one visitor that we had here as well i saw his hand go up and we're just praising god for for what he did that weekend what a, a an awesome thing to experience um it was it was interesting it was there was a bit of a of a kid theme last weekend. Uh, if you were here for the Good Friday service, um, when it came time for us to deal with our, our ropes, wasn't it fun to watch the kids just go, yep, right now, let's do this, and just pounce at that opportunity. It was, it was awesome. And then the way kids were even touched on Sunday morning. Um, so praise God for his work here over the Easter weekend. And again, thank you for all that you did to make people feel welcome, to make this place look great, to, to glorify God in every aspect of, of what we did all weekend. Um, thank you for that. Um, before we get going, uh, I would like to uh, introduce you to uh, some new members here in the church um, who are now members. They've just become members. They're here this morning. So John and Chelsea, welcome into membership at Chapel Hill Church. John and Chelsea Swenson. And Jason and Heather Boitler as well. We just want to welcome you guys into membership here at Chapel Hill Church. It is exciting. Um, just love to see the momentum here. And uh, speaking of momentum, um, we had a lot of people here at 9 o'clock this morning. Thank you so much for that. That was a great way to start this. And uh, we're just looking forward to what God's going to continue to do as we go through this six-week season here of maximizing our Sunday mornings. We had a fantastic start this morning. Uh, will you pray with me, please, as we uh, move into the Word this morning? <clears throat> Father, the, the reality that we can run into your arms is overwhelming. That no matter what we've done this week, no matter who we've hurt this week, including you, you always welcome us with open arms. Father, your love for us knows no bounds. 
As hard as it is to grasp, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to experience. And we praise you for that this morning. Father, thank you for the love that you poured out here last weekend, for the lives that you changed, the people that you spoke to, the way your gospel worked its way into people's lives, and for the way the message of the cross and the empty tomb came through so clearly, for the stirring that you created in people's hearts. Father, we praise you for that. I pray, Lord, for those who made significant changes in their lives last weekend, that you would just continue to guide them and provide for them, that they would know your presence every minute of every day. For all of us, as we went through that process of just coming to terms with the things that are weighing us down and entangling us, how we were able to just release those to you and and run into the resurrected life, just be reminded of that again. God, just guide us. Guide us as we continue to pursue what it is you have for us. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for this morning, for uh, our time at 9 o'clock, and and now for this uh, amazing worship time that we've had together here, and for what you're going to continue to do in this service. Lord, as we come now to to the words of your son, Jesus Christ, again, um, help us to listen, to learn. Help us to understand. Will you open up the word to us? Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself and your will in the words of a book that is invaluable. Help us to listen well now as Jesus speaks. That's in his name that we pray. Amen. So where do we go after Easter? Christ is risen, the Holy Spirit has been delivered as promised to God's people. And now we need someone to show us and tell us what it looks like to live the resurrected life. So this morning we return once again to the Sermon on the Mount and we continue listening to the words of Jesus Christ. We enter a new chapter today, chapter 7, where Jesus once again takes a bit of a turn in his teaching. Chapter 7 can be a bit of a confusing chapter at first glance. In some ways, it even seems like Jesus is making some some short paragraph random statements about things that aren't connected at all. In fact, there are several Bible scholars that have suggested that chapter 7 is just a collection of things that Jesus said at random. And Matthew chose to just grab them from all over and put them here in Matthew chapter 7. He just sort of throws them in there without them actually being a part of the Sermon on the Mount. But I don't believe that that's true. These words belong here in Matthew 7, and it just takes some digging for us to see how. And this is my favorite kind of digging. It's even more rewarding than digging in the garden. I had to spend quite a bit of time just sitting on the first two passages in Matthew 7 to see how they fit and what connection they have to each other and to the Sermon on the Mount in general. But there certainly is a connection, and I'll do my best this morning to show you what I found. So turn your Bibles down to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to cover the first two sections of chapter 7 this morning. And then next week we will be blessed with the presence and message of David Pierce. That will be inspiring to all of us. I know um, some of us get to hear from Ben Pierce on Saturday and then his dad on Sunday. And then we'll come back to the Sermon on the Mount and stay there until Memorial Day weekend. We're going to start by looking at an often misused passage that has sadly created a bit of a foundation for some wrong thinking and perspective that is particularly relevant 
to our day and age. I'll point that out as we go. It's something that we want to be very clear on in this church. But before we read the first part of today's passage, let me, let me remind us of something that we have to keep in mind as we explore this part of Jesus' message. This highlights the danger of taking any passage or verse in the Bible out of its context. This is one of the many things that I'm learning through this long study of Matthew 5 through 7. Um, if I was in, to, to randomly pick the passage that we're about to look at and teach from it without considering the context in which it was spoken, I would run the risk of teaching something that wasn't actually meant by these words. And I have taught from this passage before, but not with the understanding that I have today because of the fact that I've been immersed in these three chapters for months now. So here's my advice. Here's the lesson that I'm learning. Um, If you're someone who reads the Bible by randomly choosing verses, or if you're following a, a devotional that jumps around highlighting an unconnected selection of verses from the Bible, please take the time to read more than just that verse or those few verses. Make sure that you can see the context in which those verses have been written or spoken. You may find something other than what you'd get get from a quick glance at that passage. This is one of those passages that this principle applies to clearly. And here's what I mean. In the Sermon on the Mount, we've already seen that Jesus has some very direct words to say to and about the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus has taken the time to correct and rebuke many different things that had been taught by the scribes and the Pharisees prior to when he came and during the time that he was here. The section in chapter 5 where he started each passage with the words, You have heard that it was said, spoke directly against the things that the scribes and Pharisees had been teaching that were outside the word of God. They'd been adding a lot and changing a lot of what had been written in the scriptures to that point. In chapter 6, Jesus dealt with the actions of the scribes and Pharisees, encouraging his listeners to stop doing what they saw the religious leaders doing and get back to demonstrating the behavior that God would approve of, behavior that was a reflection of the inner transformation of one who followed God, not the outward displays of man intended to gain the approval of man. Jesus called out the scribes and Pharisees as fakes and hypocrites. He directed the eyes of his listeners to the example that he himself would set for them away from what they were seeing around them in the religious leaders of that day. And so as we enter chapter 7, we have to keep this in mind. Jesus is not going to suddenly make statements that are disconnected from everything he's already said in the Sermon of the Mount. He's not going to do that. The scribes and Pharisees and their strong influence on, on the people that he's talking to here is still the context in which Jesus is speaking. This will become clearer as we go. Let's read now from Matthew chapter 7, starting at verse 1. We'll read through verse 6. Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly 
to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Um, This is a passage that I preached on a few years ago. Um, I don't know if you remember it, but there were logs up here. Um, We talked about this one. So I'm not going to go again into the kind of depth that I did back then, but I'll come at this from a different angle than before, and I'll show you some new things from this passage that I've learned. Um, And I won't shy away from verse 6 this time. Uh, That one has scared me in the past, but I am seeing it a lot clearer now. So we'll talk about the dogs and the pigs. Back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Turns out that may not have been a very hard thing to do. The scribes and the Pharisees had made the horrendous mistake of taking upon themselves the roles of judge and jury and executioner. They had, over time, developed a system of laws and traditions that had taken a higher place in their lives than even the Word of God. Now, sometimes when my boys play together, the older boys will make up rules of the game for the younger boy. Um, And so it's, I mean, it doesn't matter what the actual rules of the game are. They're going to do that. They're older, they're in charge, and they certainly don't want to get beat by the younger one. So they're going to make up the rules of the game as they go. And so if the younger one scores, the older one will find a way to explain that according to the rules that only he knows, no goal. And they care, right? Right? Yeah, don't you shake your head. (laughs) You know who I'm talking to. (laughs) On a larger, more destructive scale by far... This is what the scribes and the Pharisees had done. They had changed the rules and added a lot more rules that weren't there in the word of God. And having done so, they became the judges of the game. Later in Matthew, in chapter 15, Jesus says this to the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Jesus was not pleased with the behavior and beliefs of the scribes and Pharisees. What they had created themselves often directly contradicted the word of God, as we've already seen. And Jesus would not tolerate this. In Luke 18, Jesus told a parable in which he included a Pharisee as the main character and villain. Listen to what he said. Jesus said, uh, it says he also, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He said, two men went up to the, into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man 
went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Scribes and the Pharisees had exalted themselves, even to the position of ultimate authority. Scribes and Pharisees were playing God. And Jesus would have nothing of it. So let's keep that in mind when we read Jesus' words in Matthew 7. Jesus spoke directly against what the scribes and Pharisees had done by lifting themselves up and carrying out their self-appointed role as judges. Here's where the danger arises in taking this passage out of context. Um, These verses have been used many times to back up the perspective that followers of Jesus should never evaluate or criticize anyone for anything. So let's talk about that for a few minutes. Christianity in America in this day and age has become in many circles a faith that is characterized by weak convictions when it comes to God's standard versus the world's standard. The church has lost much of its courage when faced with the challenge of standing up for what the Bible declares and for what we say we believe. Theological and moral absolutes are not very well received in our world. So we tend to shy away from situations in which those absolutes collide with the world's perspective that everything is tolerable. We rarely take a stand on anything. We avoid the confrontation that has characterized the spread of the gospel throughout history. Inclusiveness, tolerance, and compromise have become not just society's highest values, but in many cases, the church's highest values as well. Let me give you a real-life example from right here in our own city. Uh, Several years ago, a church in Minneapolis opened their doors to receive a group that was calling themselves a church, and they were looking for a place to meet. And in spite of this group's beliefs that went directly contradictory to the Bible, they were welcomed in without discernment and with open arms to become a part of that other church. Shortly after that, the new group that now met in the church informed the host church that the presence of a cross on the building was offensive to them. So the church took the cross down. Is this what Jesus was getting at when he said, judge not? No, it isn't. No, it isn't. Throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking very clearly about the difference between true religion and false religion and the difference between spiritual truth and spiritual hypocrisy. Jesus speaks very strongly about the danger of man's standards replacing God's standards. Throughout the sermon, Jesus highlights very specific ways in which the religious leaders had strayed from God's standard and elevated themselves to lawmakers and judges. The Sermon on the Mount is one of the most judgmental sermons ever preached. So... Clearly, Jesus is not telling his followers to just sit back passively and tolerate every contradiction to God's laws. He's making it very clear that it's God's way or no way at all. Every other way is false. So we, we ought to be strengthened in our faith by Jesus' words. 
strengthened, not directed by him to sit down and be quiet. Jesus is talking here about the self-righteous, self-appointed judgment that was being passed by the scribes and Pharisees, a standard that was being held up by the religious leaders of the day as God's standard when it clearly wasn't. Scribes and Pharisees were passing judgment based on their perception of people's motives, if they didn't line up with their own, and on people's outward performance and appearance. Both of these were wrong, and so Jesus said, Do not judge. Do not judge by human standards. Jesus will go on in Matthew 7 to talk about false prophets. We'll get to that another time. He's going to help his followers learn how to judge false teachers. Jesus comes down hard on false prophets. The church is also to come down hard on false prophets. So what we're not seeing here is Jesus telling us to just tolerate everyone and to never judge those who are having a negative impact on God's family with their lies and self-righteousness. He has a lot more to say on this than we can possibly cover today. We'll talk more about it in the future here. Let me boil it down to this. Know what you believe. Know what you believe. That means knowing what the Bible teaches. And then hold to what you believe. If you're hearing something that contradicts what the Bible says, question it. Judge it. If it's something that represents man's standard, not God's, judge it. If someone's trying to lead you away from what you know to be true from God's word, make a decision regarding them and what they're saying. As the leadership of this church, we will not allow someone to come in here and teach lies. Don't allow someone to do that in your life either. Do not judge someone, especially a brother or sister in Christ, by a standard you have set yourself. Do not judge a fellow believer's motives based on how they compare to your own motives. You cannot know the heart of another. Only God knows that. Do not pass judgment that only God is qualified to make. Ask God to help you Examine and discern the things you hear and the influence is in your life and in our kids' lives. But always resist the temptation to play God. The Pharisees believed that they lived up to the standards that they were using to judge others by. But that was their standard, not God's. It was their self-righteousness that led them to play the role of judges. Beware the presence of self-righteousness in your own life. That's where Jesus' words about the speck and the log come into play. Deal with yourself first and then you'll be able to see, see clearly enough to help someone else with whatever it is that's keeping them from seeing clearly as well. It's okay for us to help each other see the blind spots we have and the sin that can control and destroy us. It's okay for us to do that. In fact, it's commanded in the Bible, but it's not okay for us to play God and pass judgment from a standard and position that we have created ourselves. Okay, on to the dogs and pigs. (laughs) Needed to lighten things up there a little bit, didn't we? How many dog owners do we have here in the building? How many dog owners? (laughs) That's a lot of dogs. All right. 
forget everything you know about your adorable little dog and those piglets over at the zoo. In Jesus' time, dogs were rarely kept as pets like they are now. Instead, they were dirty, dangerous, diseased, and despised wild animals. Pigs were not raised for bacon and petting zoos. Both of these animals were considered unclean and undesirable. Enter the scribes and Pharisees. They had, accept, they had access to the holy truth of God's word. And rather than accept and embrace God's standard, they disregarded it in exchange for the garbage that they ended up creating themselves as their standard. They trampled God's word as if it were unappealing to them and instead created a standard that they would use then to oppress God's creation. In 2 Peter 2, Peter writes about false prophets and says some very harsh, judgmental things about them. Included in his judgment are these words, What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, the pig, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. What are some true marks of someone living a resurrected life? What is characteristic about life in the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? Do not judge wrongfully and do practice right discernment. This is evidence of God's spirit at work in us. Let's move on. Jesus has been talking about judgment, something that the scribes and Pharisees had become very proficient at uh, in all the wrong ways. And I get the sense here that Jesus didn't want to leave the discussion about judgment, only having determined that God is the ultimate judge, not us. That would still leave his followers with a one-dimensional picture of God. And you can imagine the picture that the people already had based on the words and actions of the religious leaders. So this is how I think these two passages, the one about judgment and this one, tie together. Um, Let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. This is an encouraging passage. This is what Jesus says. He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? And Jesus comes back here to his, with his reference to God as Father. He's talked about our our Father's generosity in giving rewards to those who live kingdom lives, lives that line up with the characteristics of God's kingdom. In Matthew 6, he also talked about the nature of God the Father in the Lord's Prayer. There he teaches his followers to ask God for the things that they need every day. Now he's revealing the heart behind the invitation to ask. Jesus makes it clear that God's desire is to give good things to his children, to those who see their need for him and ask. God welcomes the poor in spirit. 
And there we are back to the start of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. It all ties together. Jesus even uses our relationships with our kids as dads. If we're compassionate enough to give good things to our children, how much more generous will God be with us? In his words on worrying, Jesus also highlighted the goodness of our Father who knows what we need and desires to give us good things. And so following some harsh words about judgment, Jesus is quick to get our focus back on God's goodness. Think back to last weekend. We preached the message of the Easter story here. We preached about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when I presented the gospel message, there were at least two dimensions to that message. The first had to do with God's holiness. We are sinners in need of a savior. There's no denying that the sin in us has to be dealt with. There's God's judgment. But then grace steps in and the goodness of our father is poured out on us. God is judge, but out of his immense love for us, he found a way to save us from his judgment. So Jesus invites us to come to our father and ask. Jesus knows how good God is. He's been with him for eternity. He knows the heart of his dad. He knows how generous God is. Jesus was here on earth when he spoke these things about our father. And he was here because God loves us that much. Did Jesus deny the judgment of God? No. He tells us to leave that judgment to him though. But then he quickly reminds us of how good and generous our father is. This morning, I want to encourage you to examine your own perspective on the character of God. So many people that I've talked to uh, live life in this ongoing fear of God's judgment. They're certain that God just sits in judgment above them and is just waiting for them to mess up. They have a hard time seeing a God who cares about them and desires good things for them. But throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has invited us to see the Father as he really is. Is he the ultimate judge? Of course he is. Of course he is. But we have been invited by our brother Jesus to approach our father with confidence, knowing that he will give good things to those who ask him. He will give good things to his children. He will give good things to you because he's your father and he loves you. Jesus is instructing us to to stop playing God. We're not the ones to condemn. Jesus is also inviting us to ask. He's inviting us to ask God for the things that we need to successfully represent him here on earth and allow his image to shine brightly through our lives. When's the last time you asked your father to give you the good things that he has in mind for you? In the kingdom of God, we do not play God. We do not elevate ourselves to a place of judgment and condemn others. But also in the kingdom of God, we come to God with freedom and boldness and ask him for the good things that he has in mind for us. Because he is our father. We live in a kingdom, Chapel Hill Church, that is ruled by our dad. Ask, seek, and knock 
And let God be that perfect father that we need. Wise enough to judge and help us discern. And loving us enough to provide when we ask. Let God be God. I'm going to invite the ushers to come now and the worship team as well. Will you pray with me? Father, one of the many good gifts that you have in mind for us, I know, because I see it in your word, is wisdom. I pray that you would give us wisdom. That we would hold to what you say is true and not let go of it. That we would protect our lives, our hearts, and our minds from the lies of the enemy. That we would protect our families, our households, our marriages from the lies of the enemy. And hold fast to what you have taught us and will continue to teach us is true. God, we live in an age where Truth is relative and we can even see as far back as the time around Jesus' crucifixion that this was a problem then too. It seems to have always been a problem. But you have called us to live in truth. You have called us to be able to discern between what is true and what is false. And Father, I'm, I'm just asking that you would give us as a church and as individuals your spirit of discernment. That we, are, we would realize that we are to hold fast to the things that you're teaching us. God, I pray for the world around us. I pray for this city, for our neighborhoods, where truth is being mocked and disregarded. God, I pray that not one of us in this church would fall prey to those lies that would steer us away from the truth that's found in your word and through your spirit. God, firm up our foundation. Father, will you forgive us for the times when we have stood in judgment against our brothers and sisters as if we understood their motives and and we have condemned each other based on our own perspective. God, more and more make your truth our standard and that's it. Help us to avoid those opportunities we have to, to evaluate and judge someone based on a standard that we've created ourselves. Don't let us fall into the the temptation that the scribes and Pharisees fell into. Keep us set apart as your holy people. Father, I am so, so grateful for your goodness. 
that we can come to you and your arms are open and we can run into those arms and be embraced by you and be reminded by you of just how much you love us and how valuable we are to you, how safe and secure we are in your embrace. Thank you that you no longer hold us at arm's length because of our sin. God, help us to confess and seek forgiveness for every single sin in our lives, no matter how small we might think it is. So that we can come to you freely because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Teach us to ask, to seek, to knock. Knowing that you desire to give us good things because you are our Father. We praise you for being our Father, for being so generous and loving with us. Help us to reflect you in this world more and more and more as we are generous with others. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.